Hello and welcome back to Two Pals on a Pod, episode 29. This week, we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to be doing a mental health podcast, seeing as it is Mental Health Awareness Week, or at least it was the previous week um, that we're that this will be uploaded. So we are going to be you know, getting into the sort of nitty-gritty of mental health, talk about our own personal experiences, coping mechanisms, etc., etc. Do you think this is a topic that's still a bit of... Um, a, a sort of a taboo talking about or do you think things have improved because personally I feel like in the last few years I feel like there's been a lot of progress if I compare it to where we were sort of 10 years ago where this wasn't even really a, a talking point yeah I think the fact that we're talking about it and kind of commemorating mental health awareness week probably says a lot about how far we've come I think also there's a significant portion of society out there that are maybe born and raised in a different time than us that maybe don't understand the ins and outs mental health and the technicalities behind it and, and things like that I was liking it to like some people would understand if say you couldn't go into work or you couldn't go into school because you'd broken your arm because they can see that some people really struggle with the fact that because they can't see mental health kind of uh, you know disorders or conditions they struggle with the fact that because that goes on internally they can't see that so they struggle to compute that it's a real thing a genuine kind of valid thing so I think some people probably still don't understand the, the magnitude of it, but I think we're lucky, especially me, say, being at uni, surrounded by people that are my age with a similar outlook on life. There's a lot more understanding among, amongst people our age than there was, say, even as you know, five years ago, 10 mm. years ago, which can only be a good thing. But there's still a lot of people out there that definitely, I think, are a bit bewildered by it all. No? Yeah, I think it's definitely changed, like you're saying, like the last, even like the last three or four years, I think it's changed a lot. Like yeah. when you left school, well, I left school in uh, 2017, the end of 2017. And I don't re I remember it sort of kind of people mentioning these sort of like uh, anxiety and depression, that kind of thing. But it was spoken about a bit differently. I personally didn't know a huge amount of it. I wasn't able to identify anxiety myself. I look back in on school days now and I think, wow, I actually had a, quite a lot of anxiety. I just wasn't aware that's what that was. I didn't have like a, a sort of name for it or anything like that. It was just sort of a feeling that I had, but I didn't really know what it was. It felt a little bit strange. And so, mm. you know, like, I think the, even like raising awareness of actually what these things are, what they feel like and the sort of different symptoms, not so you can sort of make, you don't want to make people hyper aware to the point where they're like they're worrying all the time about these different things, but it's to make people sort of aware of actually what these things are so that if they are struggling with them, you can go to a doctor or a GP, you know, to, to actually speak to somebody about these things. Because I, I think if I had had that knowledge of actually what this feeling was, then maybe I would have gone and spoke to somebody. But like, just because I didn't have like a name for that feeling, it, it just, it didn't occur to me that it was, you know, anxiety or something like that. And so I didn't then take that step to go speak to somebody about it. And so I think just raising that awareness can really do a lot of help a lot, a lot of people really. Yeah, I think that there's definitely been a marked change in the last say three to four or five years or whatever, because I think back like you do to when we were at school. And that was when I first started experiencing the issues that I had around, you know, pretty severe depression and anxiety, especially during say sixth form. So we're talking about 2017, 2018 or whatever. And I think something that really served to heighten my negative experiences was the fact that school was definitely not an environment where anybody felt open enough to kind of say that they were going through this issue or this issue or that issue you know whether you could put a name on it or not I don't think that I, it probably wasn't an hour school thing it probably is a universal thing because mm. the way that schools are you know they're kind of like goldfish bowls where everybody's trying to put forward a particular version of themselves and there was there's never really in school a culture of going forward and saying putting your hand up and saying this is what I'm going through at the minute you know being open even with friends we were as, as, as 
as close as you can be in secondary school, especially, you know, more so towards the end of it. And I never felt comfortable enough with, with, with anybody, any friends at least, saying this is what I'm going through. You know, this is what's happening at home. Maybe be a bit more, can you be a bit more understanding or whatever. They never dreamed of going to a teacher and saying, I'm going through this, you know, this severe depression, anxiety. Could I maybe have an extension on this kind of deadline or something, you know, for homework? Or can I sit out of this mock exam? It's causing me a lot of anxiety. There just wasn't that culture at school. Mm. And I don't know whether it's because times have changed so quickly in the sense that now I'm at uni, things are completely different, or whether it's the difference between schools and unis and the environment there. I don't know whether the time has changed that. Well, I don't know whether there's a genuine difference between the, the openness at school and, and, and university, because at university, um, you know, there's barely one person I know that hasn't reached out to the, one of the welfare people at, at uni and college, um, at least once, and everybody's mm. open about it. And I think it's because people almost care less about image now at uni. Like, it's not detrimental to somebody's image if they're open about their mental health and open about their experiences. I think it's quite a common thing for people at uni to talk about with each other mm. but in school that would be completely unthinkable I'm an open book like as far as they come but in school the idea of me bringing up my anxiety a panic attack or you know in sixth form I attempted suicide twice and the day after I just come in to do my lessons or whatever and socialize in the in the social area as if nothing had happened the night before there's no sort of like, there's no room for it, is there really at school? Like that's that's the sort of thing. It feels like at uni is a little bit more room for it. And I, I think it is a distinction between school and uni as opposed to time. There've probably been some changes as to time, but I think it is a distinction between school and uni because with school, you're not living there. You're, whereas at yeah. uni, it, you can't really hide like a whole side of yourself if you're living somewhere and you're like completely surrounded in that place with new friends and that kind of thing. Very difficult to disguise that way. It's probably possible, but it's more difficult. And so there is that bit more of that openness, I think. And I guess probably a little bit more encouraged as well uh, on unis, a bit more openness. It even goes to things like pronouns, for example. I didn't even know about pronouns until I went to uni. Like those kind of things, like at uni, the dialogues are just a little bit different, that you sort of treat a little bit differently, the expectations are a bit different. And I think there's sort of more room for that kind of talk, I guess, which um, is can only be a good thing. Definitely, because I think when I think back to being at school, which probably when I was at my, my worst, say in sixth form, half of the strain and half of the struggle was putting up the defences and putting up like this kind of front that everything was okay. So mm-hmm. there were times where I'd go off at, at break time or in, we had like these three periods in, in, in uh, sixth form, didn't we, where you just didn't have a lesson that you were meant to yeah. revise. And I'd go off into the toilets. It happened maybe three or four times. And I'd just have a cry, you know, for no reason. That's the, the nature of the beast with, say, depression. Like, there's, there's nothing, there's not one particular thing that you're depressed about. There's not one particular thing that, that causes it. It's a low levels of, like, neurotransmitters in your head, right? You can't, mm-hmm. you can't change that without the medication. So for no reason, I'd just go off by myself three or four times it happened in about a month before I, I dropped out and I just cry and I think part of the stress of, of you know it, there was definitely this kind of idea of how I can't do this here I can't cry at school because people will know and that makes you cry even more mm. and then suddenly you're in there for five minutes and you're wiping away the tears and making sure you don't look like you've just been crying and it's just perpetuating that that stress whereas at uni you know it's such a such a good you make a really good point about the fact that you're living there so it's so hard to put up those defences because the first time I cried at uni was in Freshers' Week. And I think more than half the people in my corridor cried 
in Russia's week because mm. it's so intense. It's kind of expected. And then once you cry in front of somebody, it kind of breaks down those boundaries, doesn't it? And then you're like, oh, you know, the new friends here or whatever. You're really breaking down those boundaries and it becomes acceptable to do that and to struggle and, and, and whatnot. But school for me was probably the worst environment I could be in at that moment because half of the battle was hiding what I was going through. And it just adds to, to the stress. But we've definitely seen some, some positive kind of strides towards it. I think in a weird way, and I know you don't want to normalize having a mental health issue, but mental health issues are more common than most people think. One in four people mm. have a mental health issue. I think it'd be you high normalize as well, probably, I reckon. Yeah, I'd say, because I'd say those figures are probably based off of people actually coming forward and being aware that they've got a mm. mental health issue. You don't want to normalize, you want to destigmatize. And I think that from the, from the time that I spent on TikTok, people on there are very open about what they're going through what they have gone through, not just with mental health issues, but with medical conditions. So say like Crohn's disease, normalizing the carrying the bag on your stomach and things like that, because people might not know what that is. You mm-hmm. can do similar things for like with science with like ADHD and things like that, or like body image issues. Just knowing that there's somebody else out there that's going through something similar or other people out there going through something similar goes a long, long way to placating those feelings of, of isolation. Because I think back to school and I know for a fact that I can't have been the only person going through quite severe issues at that, at that point, like by issues of like probability. But that's how it felt because nobody would be, there wouldn't be anybody there going, yeah, I'm feeling the same as well. And there are definitely people that I spoke to about, not necessarily the extent of the issues, but how I was feeling. There are definitely people that I spoke to back then about how I was feeling that had probably either felt the same way or were feeling the same way at that moment in time that just weren't, didn't feel comfortable in saying, but yeah, I'm there too. Or I've been there before as well. The because culture isn't there, is it? The culture, yeah. Because yeah. of the culture. Because you want to go in, you want to put up a front in school because otherwise people will be talking. They don't see themselves today. It must be the, the, you know, the depression or whatever. Like, obviously, you know, but I think most people listening to this won't know. But when it came to me leaving sixth form, I didn't exactly, I didn't give a single person an explanation as to why I left. That was the, the amount of shame that I felt. I just stopped going in mm. because I couldn't anymore. But there wasn't one person that I went to and I said, yeah, this is what's happening. This is, you know, I'm really struggling with my mental health or whatever. And that's a testament to the, to the culture, to the culture at, at school. Yeah. And it's, and you sort of need that person to be able to like open up to and speak to. Like if you don't have that person, it can be really difficult when you're man- trying to manage all these emotions and all these kind of things. It's very, very difficult. You sort of need that person to be able to sort of unload a little bit of how you're feeling and talk to somebody. And sometimes like, now, I know a lot of people say, oh, just talk and that kind of thing. And it's quite difficult. You're not always, you're not always in a situation in, in your life where you feel like you do have someone to talk to. Like, particularly when you're in school, again, we go back to the culture. The culture there isn't always necessarily, it might have changed again, it might have changed, but it isn't necessarily one of openness around your friends. Like, it probably changes from different friends groups, but I, I think the, the culture really isn't there where you talk openly about things. It's still sort of seen a little bit as like a weakness or something like that, or something to be ashamed of or something yeah. like that. And actually, when, when if you didn't, um have that sort of culture there i think you'd find a lot of people probably going through very very similar things and uh, you're, you're definitely not alone in that in that regard yeah and i think back now to when i first wanted to reach out in sixth form like there wasn't this notion to me and now people know that talking is is a good thing and is a positive step but back then to me it wasn't that obvious and it, i was probably struggling for about a year before i actually went to the doctors and said this is what's happening. You know, can I have some medication, please? And even then I wasn't pushing for therapy. I got therapy in the end, 
but I wasn't pushing for that because I was very much of the in the mindset that like what good can talking do like because you look at it and you think it's not there are no tangible benefits from it you only it's a feeling like after you've spoken to somebody and we've had a fair few chats where I've come to you and I said you know this is pretty shit you know and we speak through things and you feel better afterwards but you can't put your finger on why it's just good to rationalize things out loud and even the act of having somebody to talk to who's there for you accompanying you is a great benefit as well but if you've never been through that like I just remember thinking people like maybe you should go get counseling I was like well it's just talking isn't it it's just moving your mouth you know it's not going to help like medication yeah because I understood because I did A-level psychology it's as ridiculous as it sounds I didn't, I didn't go through that phase of thinking this is all my fault you know like the depression is all my fault because I knew that it was out of my control because I studied it in in, in psychology so I was like so these levels of neurotransmitters low levels of neurotransmitters in my head you know your dopamine your serotonin or whatever is not necessarily my fault there's nothing I can do about this process so I did kind of I got lucky because I skipped that kind of blaming myself phase that you have at the start where you're like feeling hopeless and oh because I'm this or because I'm that I never had that as kind of like there's nothing I can do about this kind of process that's going on in my head but it took me a long time to come around to the idea that actually talking to somebody a professional or even a friend can actually help whereas now I think it's probably more obvious and if, if it's not then it's something that individuals need to go through and realize you know even just talking with a friend having a chinwag for half an hour about what you're feeling can really really help whether it's the act of having somebody there for you or whether they're actually giving practical advice or for me when it comes to my therapy or talking to my friends hearing me say things and work through things and rationalize things out loud really helps because when it's in your head and you've got anxiety it's just a cycle and a monster that feeds itself but I really it took me a long time to get around to that idea of being like I need to reach out this is a good thing yeah and it's it's like you externalize it in some sort of way whether that is talking or writing it down on a piece of paper is quite a good idea if, if you go through that cycle of overthinking or struggling to sort of you know process what you're thinking getting it onto a piece of paper so you can see it visually or you can hear it in another way just so it's not just up in your head I, I think can be a really good way and like you say having someone to speak to is the most important thing like if you can if you have a person in your life where any topic is on the table, any single topic, doesn't matter what it is, any single topic, that is one of the most important things you can really have in a friend, family member, whoever it is, maybe it's a teacher for some people, I don't know, but like the, if you can have someone there where you've got any single topic you can talk about, it's really a really, really good thing to have. And I think often when you're younger, your friendships aren't as deep as that necessarily. Like perhaps it's a little yeah. bit to do with maturity as well. Like as you get older, you maybe talk more about these things and that kind of thing. Because I know like me and you, for example, we talk a lot more about these things as we've got older. We didn't necessarily in sick form, but as we got older, we have, you know, spoken more and more about these things. And now I personally feel, I don't know if you do as well, but like no topic is off the table. There's not like sort of, oh, could I could I bring this up to him? How do you feel about this? Oh, there's none of that. And that's a really healthy thing. Yeah, it's a really, I think so. It's, it's, it's a really good thing to have. Like, even if you're not going through something in the present moment, subconsciously knowing that you have friends like that to lean on and rely on when you need that is good. Like not, not just having friends to just do trauma dump on. Like you're doing other things with them as well. You're going on holiday with them. You're socializing, socializing with them or whatever. But even when you're feeling normal and you're feeling like yourself, just knowing that you have those, I think you, you would call it an unconditional friendship, right? Where I could come to you, you come to me, you could say anything and there'd be no judgment and you would just get honest advice back and emotional support back. And I think that, I think some people would be really surprised at the depths of their friendships in terms of when I reach out to people and I say, listen, I'm not feeling myself. With me, it's so easy to tell because when I'm depressed, my voice goes flat. Whereas when I'm not depressed, like I'm not depressed now, my voice is all up and down and everything is intonation there. 
And when I'm anxious, I'm not socializing, I'm being more withdrawn when usually I'm such an outgoing kind of person. So my friends can usually tell and, you know, people reach out and they say, you know, are you okay? And that makes such a difference. Like if somebody's instigating that conversation, that makes such a difference as well, because you feel like less of a burden. People reach out and they say, you know, like, are you okay? And I've been surprised with some of my friendships at the depth of them, because as soon as somebody says, are you okay? You feel as if maybe you wouldn't have instigated that conversation yourself. You feel as if you can come forward and say, actually, no, I'm not, this is going on, this is going on. And I've been surprised at how supportive some people have been when you think that maybe the friendship was more of a superficial thing. Mm -hmm. And it's turned out that they're actually there for you. And then as soon as you say, I'm going through this, I'm going through that, they're more likely also to say, "Uh, yeah, I've been there before, or I'm going through that now, I'm going through something similar now. And then that's only when only when you have an experience like that, where you think you say you sit back and you're like, God, their life seemed like they had it all like they're on top of their work, like they're flying with their grades. They seem like they're socializing all the time. They've got all these great friends around them. You know, they're good looking. You know, they've got everything going for them and they have this thing going on behind closed doors. I'd have never have guessed it. Mm. When you start thinking like that, I think a you become a much more compassionate person in relation to other people because you never know what's going on. You never know the full story. But B, you realise how close these friends actually are to you when you're talking about things like that. Like, it pushes the boundaries of a friendship. You can have those friends where you bond over, oh, I shagged him the other night, or I shagged her the other night, and, you know, whatever, and that's brilliant. You know, great, keeping updated on your, lo- your love life and your, your sex life. This is but a great you- friendship. Just let's just talk about <laughs> this every time. We're such good friends. I could name every person he's slept with, you know. I could name the full body count. <laughs> That's what it is. That seems all my. That seems to be what my life is at the minute, though. Just brunches and talking about boys and girls and everything. But like you'd be, I've, I've been surprised at, at, at how much deeper that the friendships go when you push those boundaries and you maybe test the waters with saying like, you know, how are you? And cultivating an environment where there is no stigma because there shouldn't be a stigma around coming forward and saying, actually, mate, I'm not okay. And I've been really surprised at the the the, the depth of the friendships that I've had, like just coming forward and being open about that because I'm quite open about it and when you do start to talk to people about these kind of things it does make the friendship deeper than it was before like it does it adds depth to it like I know with again go back to our friendship like that definitely has got a lot deeper now we've talked about more than just sort of like football and have a laugh that kind of thing like it as we got sort of as we sort of opened up more to each other it does add the de- add to the depth, doesn't it? Because you sort of share things, more personal things about each other. So it naturally is going to add to the depth that, that you have in relationships. Yeah, and I think as a general rule, like it's nice to know what people are going through. As mm. much as it's nice to joke with friends about, say, football or boys that they're seeing and, and things like that, it's genuinely nice to know what other people are going through in terms of what's going on behind the scenes. Because you would think with true friends that you 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 can just put all your cards on the table and it's so much better than when I think back to school putting up this facade and taking a deep breath before walking into the social area or the work area or whatever you know and having to hide those things that put such a strain on things you like like I definitely wasn't myself back in in school when I was at the at my lowest kind of ebb I mean nobody's going to be outwardly themselves if the night before things have got that bad that they've thought about ending their life. But then the thought of going into school the next day and not having somebody to lean on, and then on top of that, having to put that barrier up with that facade and everything makes things kind of, you know, 10 times, 10 times worse. I mean, I'm acutely aware of what as well, of you know, how lucky I am to be here right now. You know what I mean? With the the, the suicide attempts over the, over the course of, of, of the years, but I view it as something that 
I spin it into a, into a positive because I think like as bad as things get, they can't get as bad as, as that. There's no worse feeling than wanting to enter your own life when you're just sat there feeling hopeless, thinking this is the best option. Not living is the best option. From then on, nothing's going to get as bad as that. I remember one time I tried doing it, tried overdosing a few years ago, and then didn't work, obviously. Got, came to my senses and threw up, you know, got it out of my system. And I was just walking home and it must have been, it was around, you know, April, May, kind of springtime, summertime. Sun was setting, must have been about nine o'clock, half past nine or something. And the bird, hearing the birds tweeting in the trees, you know, the, the dusk chorus, whatever it is, you know, birds, birds were out anyway, birds were out tweeting. I just remember appreciating that. Like, and you have such an appreciation, your, your senses are kind of heightened. You have such an appreciation for things that you would have just taken for granted previously because you're back on that kind of, upwards curve it just provides you with perspective for everything you know you're, you're sitting there you get an assignment back in sixth form or in uni and you haven't done as well as you expected to do but you know it's not the end of the world like it's not worth losing your head over you know it's not not everything isn't coming crashing down it just provides you with that perspective that ironically goes a long way to making you a lot more stable you're like, this isn't, this isn't the be all and end all. I've been in far worse states before. And yet here I am still lucky to be here. Okay, I might be disappointed with this grade I've got, or maybe I'm having an argument with my friend that, you know, is not ideal, but it's not the end of the world. It provides you with that perspective. Life goes on. Yeah, perspective is a really important thing for managing situations in general, like uh, aside from mental health, being able to have that sort of like ability to take a step back and try and assess things and, you know, try and try and think about things rationally. It's really difficult when you're in like a, an anxious state or like, an, you know, some sort of irrational state where you're heightened, heightened emotions, et cetera. It's very difficult to do it. But if you can sort of train yourself to be able to take that step back and assess things and look at things from you know, different perspectives and that kind of thing can really help, you know, sort of properly assess how bad something really is and really sort of try and quantify it a little bit better in the grand scheme of things. And I think the quicker you can sort of learn that skill at like a younger age, the better it's going to hold you in like going through those uni years. Like if you can get to a point where you learn that sort of perspective at maybe like 17, 18, that's going to really help you going into uni when things don't always go necessarily 100%. You know, there's lots of people who go to uni and have those really tough moments where they're really struggling, the work piles on. And it's a little bit similar at, at school as well. Like at school, is that a lot of work comes piling in from lots of different teachers. And I think that was what caused a lot of sort of my anxiety at the time was, you know, not wanting to ever miss any like piece of homework or, you know, anything like that. And sort of always wanting to be on top of the work or having to revise for this, thing, revise that thing. It can it adds so, so much like of a workload on top of you that even the people that are doing all of it, even the people that, that, that are just meeting expectations, I'm not even going beyond expectations, just meeting expectations of doing the work and mm. getting themselves as like an anxious state of like worry. And there'll be times where I'd overhear somebody say, oh, did you do that sheet for this lesson, you know, le this maths lesson or whatever? And I know that I'd done the homework. Like I knew I did, but I'd always be, even if I just overheard it, I'd always be like, oh, checking my plan alone. Like, oh, did I definitely do that? And all that kind of thing. That's just not like a healthy way to live, but it's, it feels like embedded into the culture. Like if you want to succeed at school, if you want to do well, if you want to, you've got to do all the homework, get all these top grades and these kind of thing. And it's sort of like, 
it really is not it's a bit of a strain to go through that for like six or seven years at times yeah also there's you know i think teachers are basically just selling a lie aren't they in terms mm. of it's the homework and there's never really anything substantial like you know if there's any people still at school now listening to this i mean do your homework but i mean if you miss the odd sheet it's even if you miss like half of the assignments i think back to some of the stuff you do for homework and it was just some kind of afterthought it's not core kind of work and yet there's there is this kind of there's this culture of shame when you get a reputation for yourself in school of being some kind of high flyer or whatever or getting decent marks on every kind of assignment and doing every piece of homework if you don't do a piece of homework or if you flop on an assignment and everybody finds out there's kind of like a, like a collective kind of gasp on oh yeah oh oh you know, when really it means nothing in the grand scheme of things. But that, that was a big kind of, of driver for me, especially in, in sixth form doing A-levels. Like, I burnt myself out with A-levels, and I always say, I, say I, did as well. I don't think I'll ever care about anything or anybody as much as I cared about my A-levels, because I lack, the, I lack the capacity now to even think for anything for a, a sustained amount of time as much as I thought about A-levels for those three years that I did them, because I did two years, then dropped out, then came back and finished them off. It was so intense and it would get to the point where I go for a jog um, to take my mind off the revision that I was doing in some ridiculous month like October or November, so far out from the from the exams. And I go for a jog and on this jog, I'd be listening to some music, but instead of focusing on the jog or focusing on the music, what I'd be doing is I'd be going through every page of my revision notes in my head, going through the, the headings and the color coded stuff or whatever. Oh, you couldn't, you just, at that point, you just can't switch off. And the article, they had a phrase, do you remember the phrase they used around exam time? It was um, productive paranoia, they called it. Make sure you're, uh, you've got, you've bred this productive paranoia really? into yourself, mm-hmm. which is a, what's the term? Oxymoron? Productive mm-hmm. paranoia, not going to work. You're not going to be productive if you're paranoid. Yeah. Take that from an expert. Take <laughs> that from an expert, you know? But I will never care about anything as much as I cared about those, those A-levels back then. Because, and for me, it wasn't even working myself. I kind of knew that if, if I did less work than I did, I'd still get to the uni that I went to and the grades that I, you know, I wasn't striving for A stars. I got them. I got them, but I didn't need them. Oh. They're nice. They're nice to have in the back pocket, aren't they? Good to bring out. Good fun, yeah. fun fact to bring out at an after party or something really cool. <laughs> um, I, I, I knew I didn't need to push myself to the limit, but I, what I was doing was I was pushing myself because I didn't want people to turn around in, in, in class and be like, oh, Toby only got 50% when he usually gets 90%. Like, ooh. Like, well, but, doesn't matter grand scheme of things doesn't matter i would say now the grades that i got at a level probably don't matter they got they got me they served as a means to an end and got me to uni but now with employers or whatever they look at your degree and not your a levels and like i'm sure like people that tapped out at gcs did their gcses and tapped out and got a proper job shall we say and then just fuck around in education their gcses don't matter to them now but at the time they're it's big it's about the perspective you need to look at the, the bigger picture and it's so hard when you're in that moment so hard when you're in that moment to look at the bigger picture but they they think i think schools look at the lowest common denominator and they're like there are some people in this year group that we need to force and pressure into doing work but what they're forgetting about is that most people don't need that pressure to do the work and if anything the pressure would be like detrimental because we had all had assemblies as a big year group and imagine a teacher stood at the front for a levels going yeah let's get some productive paranoia going and most of us i'm sure you were do you remember it do you remember that I don't, I don't remember that phrase, to be honest. No, I don't know. Productive paranoia. People, I think people like us would have been sat there thinking like, what the fuck? Like, I spent five hours doing revision last night and it's only February or something. Mm. Like, we're months out from this. And I need to be doing more. I'm not paranoid. I need to be doing more. Like, it's I mean, such a detrimental effect. I definitely I mean, ended up burning myself, uh, burning myself out with A-levels as well. I did the same thing where I was like revising 
pretty pretty early on and just trying to keep it at a constant throughout the year and so when i got to the yeah. end of the year there was no like second gear to go into to like you know go into like yeah. that, that next gear of revising more because i just sort of got to a point where i burnt myself out in like the month before the exam which is like the worst time to burn out and so yeah. in the end i was just i remember it being really hot weather we just sort of stare at the page and just be like i don't i just i can't do anything i don't I, I don't know what to do here like just not being able to like do it because i've been doing it for so long it's nice weather as well like i was sweating inside be like oh yeah and just ended sounds, up not doing as well as i wanted to on the exams sounds a bit like that scene in uh, the in between is where will mckenzie's sitting the exam and he's like none of these words make any sense and then ends up <laughs> shitting himself because he's in such a panic and he's had to stay up the night before on on energy drinks and, and whatnot i never did like that, that just like... to be clear yeah. <laughs> I never, never came out you've never arse. soiled yourself in an exam. not officially uh, which is good, but no, but it's the whole culture around it in, in school was, was bad. And I think in uni, it couldn't have been any more different. I can genuinely say, hand on heart, I don't have to be for every uni and every uni experience. Nobody at my uni has ever given a fuck about my grades. Nobody's mm. ever got on an assignment back and said, oh, how do you do on that? What do you do on that? Whereas in school, within about 10 seconds of getting a paper back, you've got about five people on the other side of the classroom being like, Toby, what do you get? Whoever, what did you get? What did you get? What did you get? which is mental, whereas at uni, it's just like foot off the gas, like kind of craft yourself as a person a bit more, don't you? Like that's what matters more uh, rather than people kind of peering over your shoulder and looking at your, your grades. We had one teacher, do you remember? Year nine geography, one teacher insisted upon giving assignments back and exams, mock exams back in reverse order of uh, marks. So whoever got the lowest mark got their paper back first. Oh, I don't know whether yeah. he only did it like once or twice as a kind of like a carrot and a stick situation where that'd mm. be the stick, wouldn't it? Like make sure you want to do well or otherwise you're going to be humiliated. But that's no way to go about things, is it? And it doesn't really contribute to, to, to mental health in a, you know, in, a, in a positive manner. And I'm sure that maybe now, because that was that must have been 2012, 2013. So I'm sure now maybe he probably looks back on that and goes, yeah, it's a, a toxic kind of teaching practice that I'm not necessarily going to repeat. Yeah, there was a few things at school where I, I just, I didn't feel like it was a particularly healthy thing. I had a similar thing where, you know, I think it was year seven English or something. I sort of remember it very, very vividly where we we're doing like a spelling test in English. I'm terrible at spelling. And I think she made, I did terrible on the test. We all marked it, but she made everyone stand up. And so, if, and then she went in like reverse test number so let's say it was out 50 she would count basically up from zero one two and as your number gets called out you sit down so it adds <laughs> an extra element now you're sat down with everyone else stood up so already there's that sort of superior inferior even just yeah. in like the standing up sitting down and i'm the first one that gets called out like you know 13 or something i've sat down like <laughs> and everyone's just around those kinds of things just don't do anything it's like you're shaming somebody no. for it you know it's not through like a trying i just can't spell do you know what i mean like, it's not... it well, like the thing is like firstly year seven does not matter in no i mean i'm sure Skip parents it. i mean we can, I hope no parents listen to this podcast I hope they are so take your kids your out of your school take the kids out of school i'm saying to kids don't do your homework and uh and year seven doesn't matter but I'm sure as well, like knowing you, like there were no slackers in that class. There's probably like a, a decent like set. Like it was top a top set, set top set, yeah. Set. Like, so yeah. We're on a decent enough level. There's no need to be shaming people into doing work, is there? Like well, yeah. that, that, the, the optics of that, it just, just doesn't make sense to me. And I think it, it a lot of what you obviously go through in your childhood as well feeds into what you experience as an, as an adult. And I can say like hand on heart in turning a, a negative into a positive, my experiences have provided me with, with a lot of, and obviously not perfect now, but providing me with a lot of perspective in terms of when it comes to thinking about when things are bad, I think, well, they'll never be that bad. And there's no better way of learning 
that you're the negative state that you're in isn't permanent than being in a negative state and getting out of it and realizing mm. that it is possible because there is especially if you're depressed there is this kind of idea that this is a perpetual thing that's going to continue for the rest of the time you're alive isn't it because that's the depressive state you're in those are the thought processes that you're thinking about those negative kind of faulty thought processes you're thinking about and it's a valuable lesson to learn that, that they don't last forever and that they don't that, that you do kind of get out of them and there's no better no, no more effective way of learning that than going through it yourself, yeah. say when you're younger and then if thinking you, yeah well things are brilliant now so if you've got evidence of that as well like to to go back on like you, you you know in yourself because you've been through it oh i've been through this thing before yes it's really bad but it does come to an end at some point if you have that evidence of it then it helps you ride the next wave kind of thing doesn't it because you sort of know eventually right, it is going to come to an end as much as it feels like you know doom and gloom at the moment like it will come to an end at some point yeah and i mean in in, in some senses it is a it's a never-ending battle because i think from my personal experience with the depression that, that's, that can get medicated against quite effectively and you can go to your talking therapies as well and that actually works with anxiety it's actually a bit different because you can't necessarily medicate against the thought processes you can only medicate against the physical manifestations of anxiety so say your tense shoulders or your increased heart rate and things like that that's mm -hmm. what beta blockers do but in terms of your thought processes it's a harder task to completely negate against thinking that way if that makes sense so i once had a doctor say to me like honestly if, if you don't set the if you don't sort out the anxiety at the root you're going to rationalize this particular thing you're nervous about but it's just going to manifest itself in another facet of your life so if you go if you've got health anxiety around you know i think i've got this condition or i think i've got this chronic condition or whatever and you don't and you're waking yourself up into a frenzy and you get that sorted you know rationalize that then because those thought processes are just going to be replicated in, in in other facets of your life then you're going to be nervous about the exam you've got next week or you're going to be nervous about the fact that oh no i don't have enough friends i need more friends or what are my friends doing you know why am i sat alone you know things like that was just things that i've been through myself so it's about treating it at, at its root and getting that kind of therapy that that i reached out for in sixth form and i've reached out for it recently and it's it's still as effective the second time around whenever you need it there are services out there to go to for a reason and you mm. sit there and you rationalize and there's no more effective way of rationalizing something and talking about it with something else and you're sitting there and you're thinking this stuff that i'm saying is stupid it doesn't make sense when said out loud it only makes sense when you're when you're kind of going through the cycle like in your head and it's about unlearning those cycles of thinking if that makes sense and yeah the mm -hmm. therapy is a good way of doing it and i think making lists like you said earlier pros and cons of you know why i'm right and why i might not be right in this instance with how I'm feeling and whatnot and why this was for the best or that was for the best and kind of coping with things like that really does go a long, a long way to, to, to making a, a genuine kind of difference and accessing those services that are there for a reason with professional people. It's, it's good as, it has, as good as it is to have friends, those professionals really know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So I think now we should probably talk about like coping mechanisms, way of being able to sort of like deal with either anxiety or depression, these kind of things. So we've spoken about, you know, going and seeing like a professional, that kind of thing, or talking, these kind of things. And they're really good things to do. But sometimes maybe you need to like take a step before that part, because maybe you're not quite there yet. And sometimes people need just general coping mechanisms day to day and, and things like that. We mentioned lists. Are there any other things that you think can be particularly helpful? Yeah, well, I think coping mechanisms are important in terms of, yeah, like ensuring that you know before you've reached out to somebody you have the appropriate mechanisms in place yourself but also after you reach out like you're never you're not going to have a therapist for you there 24 7 
Mm-hmm. So it's about when these kind of feelings or the invasive kind of thoughts come into your head, how do you tackle those when you're by yourself, when it's 2am, 3am in the, you know, in the morning. And I think lists are a very effective way of looking at something on a piece of paper and going, look at this, look at this kind of massive long list of reasons why what I'm thinking is not necessarily making the most sense to me. But I think other things for, 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 for me that, that work, I think routine is a big one, I think, you know, and you talk something you talk about quite a lot too, like giving your life a structure because at least then you know what the next day is going to look like i mean it does wonders for your productivity too so in terms of if you're feeling a bit down and you're without purpose because purpose is so important and you're being productive and you sit down at the end of the day and you're like well i might feel shit but i've managed to do even a minuscule amount of work is, is better than, than nothing um that's a it's way better than just looking at the next day the next week the next month as some kind of endless void of nothingness where you've got nothing planned you've got no purpose purpose is so important so important i think regaining purpose for me when i'm in a a low kind of moment regaining purpose and being productive are ways that i kind of cope with things um you know i just like to be removed from the pressure of like deadlines you know Mm. because that doesn't help but like getting back into that routine and back into to normal is a perfect way i think of, of, of kind of taking your mind off things yeah, just having those like short-term things to aim for, even if it's like a short-term thing of going to see a friend or something in a week's time, not even necessarily like a really big target or goal. It can just be sort of having things planned for to do in three days, five days, a week, two weeks, whatever. Having those sort of things to sort of aim for as well, uh, having things to look forward to is really important. But like I say, having you know a clear structure to your day and things that you gravitate towards in moments where you don't really know what you're doing or you feel a bit directionless and so for yeah. me like if i'm have those moments where i'm like i don't know like what i'm doing like, i don't really have anything to do or maybe i'm just not feeling like doing anything then i i'll have you know a few different things that i gravitate towards in those moments where you feel directionless so maybe it's well i'm just going to go read for half an hour or something like that. I'm just going to go, like, it doesn't really matter. Like, I don't have anything else to do. I'm just going to go read, see how, see how I feel after that half an hour. Or I'm just going to go for a walk or just do a bit of exercise in my room or something like that, put some music on, do some exercise. Having those sort of things that are net positive to, like, gravitate towards as opposed to net negative, yeah. doom scrolling on social media, that sort of thing, flicking between apps. Having those sort of net positive things where you just sort of gravitate towards that and you've trained yourself to go that way as opposed to that way. And, and those kind of things are really important to have as some sort of structure. They yeah. can be difficult to do and difficult to learn, but once you get into it, it can be really helpful. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, speaking from personal experience, I think that, that doing this, this podcast has been amazing in terms of this. Sometimes we, like, you know, turn up one week and we have a conversation for about half an hour, an hour, maybe even an hour and a half sometimes before actually recording. And I feel way better just for chatting with with you and recording the podcast and feeling productive in that sense because this is something that we do every week and we put it out there and people seem to enjoy it for some reason don't they you know keep on coming back for more and they've got some some decent growth going and everything subscribe yeah it makes me feel better as well (laughs) for the benefit of my mental health yeah but obviously like doing this and chatting with you and socializing with you in a kind of a chilled kind of manner does wonders for for the for for the mental health because i mean if, if it's, it's okay working your way out of something like, i do I, I do advocate that of getting back to a routine that is as close to normal as, as what you're used to but you do also need that outlet you need to be talking to people especially me like i love socializing I need to be talking to people doing stuff putting plans in motion i'm a doer maybe too much I do too much but that's what i get I, I like thinking well next week i'm doing this i'm picturing myself you know i'm going for coffee with them i'm 
got a holiday book with them or whatever, you know, oh, I better reach out to them. I haven't seen them for three months or so, you know, like doing things like that and getting back into that routine of doing things is what helps me, I think, in my, in, in my, in my kind of darkest moments. Also like sitting down and thinking, what kind of person do you want to be? Where do you want to end up? How are you going to get there? Gives you the purpose mm-hmm. because you can always work on yourself and you can always set yourself these goals. So for me, I've been thinking a lot recently about what I actually want to do as a career. And yet, so you work it out. I want to do this as a career. What do I need to do to get there? What boxes do I need to tick to get there? What will I need to do in the tomorrow in order to put those foundations in place? It's all about having direction, isn't it? And working mm-hmm. towards something. So, I mean, you can have it with that. I mean, I have it, like, obviously, I'm a big fan of, like, going on a walk, like, every night, going on a walk, but half past 11, 11 p.m., go on a walk. And I think, I review the day, like, what have I done today? What have I made progress on today? What can I work on? What's the future going to look like? Not obviously overthinking yourself into a frenzy, but it's nice to know where you're going. What, where are you going to, location-wise, where am I going to be at? Career-wise, where am I going to be at? Future plans, what am I doing? What am I doing next week? Who haven't I seen in a while that I can reach out to and, and things like that. And also, I've been thinking, something I've been thinking about a lot as well is uh, exercise like going to the gym, I think that'd be something that I would benefit from. It's something that I'm looking at when I'm not between locations, mm-hmm. looking at getting a, a gym membership. And then you can set yourself those goals of maybe, I've always been quite a skinny guy. So maybe bulking up a bit, you know, just something to work towards, you know, so I can look in the mirror in the morning as if I'm Christian Bale in that first scene in American Psycho where he's <laughs> peeling off the face mask and he's topless and he's in the, the steamy shower and everything, mm-hmm. just so I can really live that era of my life. You want to be you know, All jokes aside, it's something that to work towards, like when you get out of bed in the morning, what are you thinking? Why are you getting up? You know, you should be getting up straight away with a spring in your step being like, this is what I got to look forward to today. This is what I'm going to work on today to get to where I want to, whether it's uni work to get to the next stage of your career or whether it's leg day at the gym and you're looking forward to having those big massive calves or whatever, like it's those things that those things that give you purpose as opposed to getting out of bed, not knowing what you're doing with the rest of your day, not really having anything to do with the rest of your day. That's when you get into that hole because then you're just left thinking and overthinking and in those cycles and it's not a good place to be. And especially if you're not in the best mental state. Yeah. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult when you're in that, that state to, you know, to then do those things, to want to jump out of bed and go and attack the day and all that kind of thing. It's very difficult when you're in that situation to to want to do those things. And I think we all probably all go through that sort of phase at some point of being like, oh God, I'm not quite where I want to be at the moment. Don't I feel a bit directionless at the moment or, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, things like purpose, meaning, direction are really important to help sort of like gear yourself like in a, in a particular direction and, you know, also get focused on like, what you're actually doing in the here and now to help, like, like I said, to help achieve those things. But I, I'm curious as to, like, if someone is struggling right now and is, you know, struggling to get out of bed or um, feels a little bit like they're lacking in purpose or doesn't really have anything to sort of get out of bed and to, to do, like, how do you get out of that rut? Because that rut is a, is a difficult place. I've been there not for a particularly long period. I think most has probably been a, a few days or something like that. It generally happens right at the start of the year for me, weirdly. Mm. After, yeah, sort of New Year, like the first few days, I'm like, oh, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and then I have to try and get to the rhythm of things. But getting out of that rut is like one of the more difficult things to do. But I think always the best thing to do is to try and, go back to basics almost like the really sort of basic stuff of just like trying to eat well trying to exercise trying to socialize those kind of things 
really trying to get back to basics. It's, it can sometimes feel a bit difficult, though, if you don't feel like socialising or maybe you're not into yeah. socialising. So, yeah. that, I, I don't know, do you have any sort of things that people should be doing or could try? Well, I think it's, it's important, say if you're in one of those, you know, in a rut, I think it's, it's important to not let that develop into something that causes anxiety. So I think bear in mind that it's normal to go through that. Like if, if it's your first time feeling like that, you know, when you just, you just, I mean, we all have those moments where you're kind of thinking, what the fuck am I doing? Where am I? Where do I want to be? You know, you do feel directionless. I mean, I said to you, like, before coming on, I said a couple of weeks ago, I just felt as if I was kind of falling through midair and just grasping at things and trying to grab onto things to give myself this direction and this purpose because I didn't know where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do, or anything like that. And I think that, that if you bear in mind that it's a temporary state of mind and there's things you can do to get out of it, then you don't get anxious. That's the most important thing. Because if you get anxious, you just perpetuate that kind of process. And it's a cycle of convincing yourself that this is a permanent state of mind when it's not. I think just sit down and think about, set your, it's, it's all about, for me, it's, I'm a very goal-oriented person. And I think that's an evolutionary thing. I think most humans are. But if you don't have anything to work towards, what are you doing with your day? You know, like my worst nightmare would be ending up in a job where you get out of bed and it's just a means to an end. It's just a pay slip type thing like there's no scale for promotion there's no kind of worthwhile aspects of it you're just a box ticker you know and you it, it, you know it pays well enough and you're just paying the bills and whatever like you know consultancy what's that what is that about like, could i do that i'm not sure i don't know what it is you know but it's like, like oh like, if you consult you give advice yeah you never know like, i'll turn around in a year and i'll be a consultant just just yeah. watch you know it's a big fat hypocrite i am but like <laughs> accountancy and things like that and i think you know maybe some oh, people some people find purpose some people find purpose in cooking the books for rich people that's okay <laughs> whatever you do that <laughs> jeffrey epstein started off as an accountant didn't he yeah and i mean so uh, what, a, what a scope there he followed his purpose a bit too bit too bit, to, yeah a bit too letter, didn't he i think i don't think that he'd have ended up in heaven following that purpose to be honest um but it's nice to know that you could crunch some numbers mm. um Obviously, not well. numbers enough though. If they're under sixteen, good which is point. A shame good and point. is a felony. Mm -hmm. a felony. But yeah, but get out of bed. You have to be getting out of bed. And if you're under rut, you have to be thinking, where do you want to be? Like, why are you not where you want to be now? Don't put too much pressure on yourself. But what can you do to get closer to where you want to be? What do you want to be doing? Take up a new hobby. Put yourself out there socialising. Or if you're not a fan of socialising, work out those coping mechanisms and maybe get into a routine where. I don't know what do introverts enjoy. I'm not the person to come for this. I say you are reading, <laughs> reading a book or something like that. Yeah, I mean, reading. I guess like watching a film. Like, that's kind of a form of escapism in, in a way, like those kind of things. But yeah, I mean, it's difficult to say. I'm, I'm I've personally found like meditating and reading to be quite helpful in sort of dealing with anxiety in particular. Um, I, I think again, I, I, a lot of I sort of went through a little bit of anxiety like during um, the second, I think it was the second lockdown, something like that, and ended up actually having to go to A&E because uh, I felt like as if I was having a heart attack or something like that, like it was a panic attack and really not a very nice feeling. But um, for me, it was, I, I, it always seems to come on as I'm trying to go to sleep. And so I have this sort of spiraling of sort of like inescapable thoughts that I can't sort of like um, come out of. It's really weird. It's not like, um, I, I can't just not have any thoughts. Like there's all like a thought coming in from all angles. It's really strange to not have control over like 
having a thought. It's difficult to describe if people haven't been through it before, but for me, it was personally like this sort of spiraling, this black hole of thoughts I couldn't escape, like not having. And so yeah. that like gets to a point where that sort of builds up and then next minute you feel like a weight on your chest and then it's like, oh, is this a heart attack? Like, obviously it's not, I'm you know, 22, at the, you know, 21, 22 <laughs> at the time, fit and healthy, obviously it's not. But then you sort of go through these things. And again, it's like, if you have health anxiety, that then adds to it. Next minute you're shaking, yeah, it's like, oh God, what's what's going on now? And again, it's those sort of things where I've probably had that maybe once before, probably, but I just didn't know it was a panic attack. I didn't even know it was a panic attack at the time. I went to A and E, and they did some like um, like checks on my heart and that kind of thing. Everything came back clear. Blood tests came back clear, and I was just sort of told to leave. Like they didn't they didn't <laughs> even say, oh, you've had a panic attack. They didn't even say that. And it's like, that's not great, is it? Let's let's just say that's not great. You know, when no, I go to a and I want to be diagnosed with something, even if it's just even if it's just being, you know, diagnosed as a wet wipe or something like that. Just diagnose <laughs> with something. Like, please. The waste, the waste of about five hours in an A and E waiting room if you're not getting any kind of formal diagnosis out. I know. So I, I had to diagnose myself with that. I later came back and was like, oh, that was probably just a panic attack, actually, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I've been there before where there's the they, they you go to any and there's absolutely nothing they can do because it's not as if you've broken a leg or something where they mm. operate on you or whatever. I don't know, never broken a leg. But and you leave with a with a what they like a pot, leave a pot. A pot on your foot. Like At least people can see that. Whereas with this, I've been to any before having a panic panic attack, and they're just like you just get fobbed off to the next kind of, you know, from pillar to post, basically. Mm. And then you get a form and it's sign up for counseling, but there's a six-month waiting list or whatever. Like it's I didn't not, even get a form. Not, you didn't even get a diagnosis, which no. I think is, is astounding. That you go with the heart, heart attack like symptoms, but have a fine kind of heart. I'd be sad. I'd be thinking, well, now what? <laughs> yeah, I was literally yeah. just told, yeah, everything's come back clear. We can't find anything. You're free to leave. <laughs> that's shocking. That's, that's, that's an and that's shocking indictment on the NHS, isn't it? That I yeah. think that I mean, it's a, it's a dereliction of duty, isn't it? Because if you're actually having a heart attack, it'd be all hands on deck and everything. But mm. something that is can, that can be in the long run as detrimental. Like if it keeps on perpetuating, it keeps on coming back or whatever, and they've just fobbing you off every time. I think it's 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 shocking, but I think it's about identifying triggers, right? When we talk about getting out of a rut or like dealing with your anxiety, and obviously uh, triggers hard to generalize because everybody's triggers are different. But my triggers are basically feeling directionless and not knowing, not having something to work towards, and not socializing enough. Funnily enough, mm. like so, if I, if my social life feels like an endless void of nothing planned, nothing to look forward to get a bit panicky and if i don't know what i'm working towards or don't have anything to work towards any goals to work towards and for me it's, it's mainly career orientated then i feel like i'm not i'm without purpose and i'm mm. without socializing without social life so what am i doing type thing but it's different for 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 everybody isn't it i think some people attach more weight on 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 other things than you know there's some people out there that are not asked about socializing and that maybe have different triggers but it's about identifying what triggers you and then sitting down practically i think you have to wait for the moment to pass don't you be it a week or a month or so you can't be practical you can't be as level-headed and as practical as i may be recommending when you're in that mental state but sitting down after and thinking what was i anxious about and what can i do about it because it's not going to sort itself out unless you're really lucky what can i do so for me it's what can i do about my anxiety is about feeling directionless work out what i want to do as a career and work out what i need to do to get there what can i do about my anxieties if i'm not seeing enough people or not socializing if i'm making the effort with my friends reach out to friends that i haven't reached out with to for a while arrange to go out with you know a mate do this podcast and things like that so it's about practically kind of 
dealing with your, your triggers and you can only practically deal with them after the moment's passed in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, I wouldn't be able to sit down working myself up being like, let's look at this rationally because the nature of the beach with anxiety is that it's completely and totally irrational. Mm-hmm. And the thing with anxiety, a good thing that I've heard of <clears> other people doing, I haven't personally done it myself, although I, there are some times where I sort of think about it. But if when you have anxiety, it's generally like different thoughts. I mean, it's different for different people, but it can be like different thoughts that, like I say, aren't necessarily always rational. And there's a good method that I've heard of people doing where you basically write down, and there's two sort of lists. Um, one thing is like, is this thing that you're thinking a fact? And the other side is, is this thing an opinion? Do you know, do you know this thing um, to be 100% true or are you just thinking essentially? <laughs> and so yeah. if you can like put down in a list of, of thoughts you're having in your mind, maybe you are um, worried that somebody doesn't like you or something like that. Is that a fact or are you thinking that based on you know your opinion of how your perspective how they're treating you or something like that little things like that being able to sort of distinguish what is 100 true and what is a thought that you're having can be quite a good way of separating your thoughts and sort of trying to organize and process them a little bit diff- a little bit of a better way as well I, I think that's can be quite good for people as well as like making lists and, and these kind of things because it is those sort of like practical things that you've got to sort of know to do to be able to help you get through and sort of ride that wave as well. Yeah, it's it's, it's quite sad because I think you have to go through quite a lot of anxiety to get to the moment where you can sit down and either put things into lists, like you say, which are really effective, even like, mm. fact and opinion really effective, or just putting you know reasons why I'm right, reasons why I might be wrong down on a list and then seeing that there's only like two reasons why you might be right about something that you don't necessarily want to be right about, but your brain focuses on those because the brain has a natural propensity to focus on things that are worse, like worst case scenario. That's what mm, anxiety yeah. is. And seeing the long list of reasons why your anxious brain might not be right and seeing that on paper practically is a, is a really good a really good method of things. I think it's all about getting back to a point where you're practically dealing with your anxiety. So in, in terms of like when I recently come off of like Instagram and, and, and Snapchat, because I look, I sat down and I was getting an anxious state about what I was seeing on there, whether it's FOMO or whether it's an obligation to feel like you have to reply to somebody because of the ways that those apps work and the way they kind of hook you in, which is what they definitely do. I think they're quite open about the fact that they do it as well. Yeah. So it's no surprise to anybody. It's just that people these days are so wired and addicted to them that social media companies know that people just aren't going to go cold turkey and, you know, kind of switch off on them but I, I sat there I was getting anxious and a couple of days after I was thinking am I in a, a happier mood or a better mood when I stop using the apps when I come off the apps than I am before I open them up mm-hmm. and I'm thinking no I don't think it is for the for the benefit of me so for the time being because they were causing me the angst I'm off them and it's something you know as, as practical as that where you need that kind of level-headedness that you don't get in an anxious state it comes after when you're sitting down and you're reviewing the situation because it's so important to to review the situation not just to brush, brush it under the carpet and i was sat there and I was like, these things don't they've stopped making me happy i'm not getting anything out of this product so for the time being i'm going to withdraw myself from them as yeah. simple as that and that comes after the anxious state and it's the same with the lists yeah like, and i think reviewing the social media habits in general is like a really good thing that people should probably do like if you're struggling a bit with your mental health or you're you know struggling with the with things that are happening on social media reviewing the way you interact with these apps like checking everyone's stories 
having you know dozens and <clears throat> dozens of messages to reply to every single day or um you know caring about the likes or views or um you know whatever whatever metric it is that you're focusing on putting your self-worth on these things and then those things maybe you know you don't get as many likes on that picture as, as you want to or whatever having your sort of self-worth resting on on those sort of metrics is not a healthy place to be you've got to try and detach the two things and realize no you have worth you have value without these other things and sort of really trying to work through that and dissect exactly the way you're interacting with these social media apps is a really important thing for people to do i think being being unattainable as well people having to text message you and not having you on tap on all these apps it's actually quite sexy as well to be fair i think you know it makes you unattainable like they can't reach you it's such a task to reach you and it's such a treat when you reply it's quite a sexy kind of thing but yeah it's about it's about only being affected mentally by things that you can control and you can't control how many likes you get on a photo and you can't control what stories other people are putting on you can't control whether you get fomo like fear of missing out from viewing other people's stories or whatever the only thing you can control is whether you feed the beast so whether you open those stories whether you're uploading posts and checking the amount of likes you get and things like that like it's about bringing things under your control and minimizing the externalities that you can't control because if, if there's something that's nagging at you and it's causing you anxiety and you can't control it it's a futile task and it's not worth worrying about because it's something that worrying about is not going to change because you can't control it. So I just think with the social media, I think it definitely is, if you're in a bit of a, a rut, it probably is, 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 is probably for the best if you just kind of take a step back from that because you've got to think, unless it's adding immense amounts of value to your life, there's always other ways of staying in touch with people, be it FaceTime or be it iMessage, that have no detrimental effects really. You know, you can't put store, you're not looking at people's stories on iMessage because you can't put stories on there, you know, and FaceTime is, you know, if you're worried about staying in touch with people, text and FaceTime, because those are things that aren't looking to reel you in. Whereas with Snapchat and Instagram, they're looking at maximizing activity and ad revenue and, and, and things like that with their features, Snap scores, Snap maps, you know, and things like that. They're looking at getting you in, reeling you in again. At the very sort of minimum, you should... I think at least have some sort of detox. Either not, you don't always necessarily have to come off the apps. Coming off the apps can be a good thing to do if you, you know, are able to do that and want to do that. Definitely can be a good thing to just sort of go cold turkey. Or you can, as like a stepping stone to help sort of manage the situation and make it a bit healthy, you can sort of unfollow loads of accounts that you don't need to be following. And that those kind of things, you're getting so much like information that you don't need on your timeline of like people that you don't either care about, don't barely know, don't know, celebrities, all these kind of things. You don't need all these people like on your timeline. Really prioritize like what you're seeing and focus like, do I actually really need to be following this person? Do they really bring me any sort of value at all? Like, do I need to be following them? And really just try and trim things down as well. Just make things a little bit healthier for you, whether that's on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever. And really just sort of try and streamline exactly like what it is you want to look at and what's having a negative effect on you and like what's actually beneficial for you to be looking at as well. Yeah, I think I think so. And I, I think that, that with, with people the way they are and the way they probably have been for eternity, there's a propensity to look at somebody's story or look at somebody's Instagram feed and compare your lived reality with their social media reality, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And compare, um, what's the quote we like? Comparison is the thief of joy. Is that, yeah. That's the quote we like, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it's, it's true, because if you look at yourself relative to somebody else, 
you don't know the shit that they've been that they've been through or that they go into you don't know the half of it they're not going to put it on their instagram feed you know they, instagram is all about putting pictures on that you like of yourself so you're not going to see the the, the, the sides of people that they don't like of themselves because they're in control of what they post you're in control of what you post you're also in control of whether you're comparing or not comparing it's as easy as just unplugging for a bit and maybe even like, with instagram like i still plan on uploading on there but i only plan on downloading the app when i'm uploading something myself you know mm-hmm. and then i'll maybe check in and i'll see oh i've been tagged on any posts or whatever i'll leave a comment on that because i'm tagged in it or a like or whatever um but it is it's natural to compare isn't it and you're not getting uh a, a real kind of picture kind of it taps into what i said earlier about like you'd be surprised when you start being open more open about mental health the amount of people other people out there that have been through similar things that you'd have never have guessed because people don't wear it like a tattoo on their forehead and mm. it's, there's still there's still a lot of stigma around it and you have to be really quite close to somebody you don't need to delve that deep so you know you're not gonna walk past somebody in the street you might walk past somebody in the street and like oh i wish i looked like them or i wish i had that style or anything but what you don't see is the baggage behind that do you there's mm. nobody, they're not going to wear that like a tattoo. I think there's, there's a few sort of different things that people can do sort of practically. We've always spoken about like writing things down and, and those kind of things. It's, but I, I do think social media is a really important like place to start. I think because people spend so much time on it now. And I think people need to like make sure that they're getting notifications through on things that actually matter as opposed to everything. Really trying to manage that and make sure you're in control of your phone as opposed to allowing that to control you and control your attention. Because that's obviously what all these social media companies are fighting for, it's your attention. That's what gets them ad revenue. Um, but do you think that mental health has got worse as a result of social media? Or do you think that we're just more aware of mental health now? Um I'd say obviously it's a mixture of both, but I would say that social media doesn't have a positive effect on on mental health, does it? Mm. I think we're seeing far more issues regarding things like body dysmorphia and the body image issues these days. And, you know, I mean, it's I think it's just so bait when I look on Instagram and I can see that something's been airbrushed or been facetuned or, you know, the saturation's been hyped, like hyped up or something like that, which is something I've been guilty of myself before, but that is not uh reality by a long shot is it Mm. and you know if you're comparing yourself to these influencers or you know reality tv show stars that that a lot of people seem to idolize and you know and pop stars these are the people that have the most followers on on instagram you know your kylie jenners and you you know your kardashians and your, your pop stars like that like not only are their photos probably really convoluted and not necessarily a reflection of reality these people have stylists and they have the money to have the best personal trainers in, in the world and whatnot and once again it's 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 a losing battle that you're you know you're kind of you know, comparing yourself you think well i'm never gonna live that life and it's just like it's very very easy to get anxious or get depressed if you're just sat comparing even if you see you've got friends that are out and they post a story on Instagram and you're not out, you think, well, I'm sat in my room doing for call and everybody's out. Well, everybody's not out. And there's times where you're out and they're not, but you don't know it because they're not putting a story on from their bedroom being like, I'm not out. So it's 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 definitely detrimental, I think. For I struggle to think of a, a positive impact. I think it makes it easier to stay in touch with people, social media. But then again, like I said, FaceTime and iMessage is a more effective way of doing that. And that's something that I do now, as opposed to staying in touch with people via Snapchat. You can stay in touch with people via FaceTime and iMessage and remove a lot of the detrimental effects of social media whilst keeping the 
we're keeping in touch with people. I definitely feel like the sort of overall net effects of social media does feel like a negative one when it comes to mental health. Like, and I think sometimes the effects aren't even not even necessarily on mental health. They can just be sort of like general effects on how people like view situations or that kind of thing. Like that can sort of just it can warp your perceptions as well because obviously these are algorithms. They show you certain things. They don't show you everything. They push certain things more so than others, and so. You're sort of you're almost having your perspective shaped as well as well as like the way you're viewing other people you've got like this other thing going on through the algorithms where it's sort of shaping which information you see how you see it and it you know the i really just feel like the overall net effect of, of social media is negative and so you do have to therefore if you can't come off it completely then you do have to therefore manage the way you interact with it don't you that that's sort of like the the sort of big thing that i think people if they do take away anything from this podcast it should be like to really manage the way you interact with your social media accounts whether it be twitter instagram snapchat or tiktok whatever it is really try and build some awareness of how long you're spending on them are you just scrolling and changing between apps because you've got nothing else to do and try and really get out of those habits get out of those routines and try and get into net positive routines of like doing things yeah, that I are helpful sit there and ask yourself why why am i on social media and if you have mm. a healthy relationship with it if it's oh well why am i on instagram i'm on i log on once a week to see what my friends have been up to to like their posts or whatever you know then that's a healthy relate there's no need to to review that on snapchat if you're using that to stay in touch with people then put the odd funny private story on when something funny happens to you and you want to tell everybody about it don't review your relationship with that but it's when it starts getting a bit toxic and when you start maybe spending too much time on there and when you start overthinking you know about the content that you see on there then it may be a time to take a step back and realize that there's not it's 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 not for for the best is it you can have it it's not just with social media with habits in your daily life like i'm naturally get out of bed at about 12 or 1 or something and any other day i sat back and i was like not necessarily for the best is it if you're waking up and everybody's halfway through their day everybody's halfway through their day and you're trying to be productive is this is this for the for my benefit no stop doing it then mm. it's not you know it, it's just, it's as simple as that when you're in a stable rational mindset it's like why am i doing this and if you can't think of a reason and there's no good reason and if anything all you're drawing from it is you know it's making your life a bit more difficult try to stop doing it the least you can do is try to stop doing yeah. it and habits are hard to break routine is hard to change but you can at least try to do it and make those steps towards trying to do it and trying to change it if it's not for the best yeah and unraveling that can take some time you do have to take some like really small steps at a time sometimes like if it is trying to get like a better sort of um, sleeping schedule or trying to exercise more or something like that. If you're trying to undo a bad habit, it can take a bit more time as opposed to adding a new habit kind of thing. I mean, they, they can both take some time, but um, like if you're trying to improve your sleeping schedule, that that's like a really hot, it's changing the whole structure of your day. Like when you're eating, like when you're working, it's like really trying to unravel all of that. And if you've been in that habit for a while, it can take a bit of time because you'd have got into so many other different habits during your day that are because of that one habit that you do because of your sleeping schedule and so trying yeah. to undo all that can take some time to do but it's like sleep is such an important thing to get right as well like a really important thing to get right if you're not getting I mean, sort of like consistently seven or eight hours then it can affect you it regulates your mood as well mm. so it kind of ties into mental health in in in, in that way i'm saying i thought i find it harder to switch up my sleeping pattern than i than i have but it it, it, and it's weird because they say you need eight hours sleep, but eight hours sleep from midnight to 8am is very different from eight hours sleep from 3am until 
whatever I whatever eight hours is on. Eleven. My mental life. Eleven. Eleven. I am. Like it's so much different, isn't it? And I feel like that 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 difference does need to be to be emphasized. But sleep regulates mood at the end of the day. And and I think I don't think anybody feels particularly good rolling out of bed when the the, the sun's in the middle of the sky at twelve p.m. and mm. everybody's already up and going about their day. I feel like you you know you're probably missing out on it a little bit. Then. And I never, I did it, but I never felt particularly good doing it. I feel yeah, like there's it, no better feeling than sitting there at twelve p.m. having looked looked looking at the clock, thinking, Jesus, is it only twelve? I've done so much. Yeah, it, it sort of adds to it, doesn't it? When you wake up at like 11, 12, 1, and it's like, oh God, I've not done anything. Because then you start going, oh, I'm not very productive. And then that just fuels the cycle that you're already in. But it does have an impact on your mood as well. Because even if you sleep for, say, 10 hours, but you've had a late night and gone to bed at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., you wake up the next morning feeling groggy. You just do. I don't know why you slept for 10 hours, but you wake up feeling groggy because you've gone to sleep at, at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. the next day. And it really affects, mm. it affects your mood. It affects whether people actually want to spend time around you, be around you. It, it changes how you go about your day because you're still you're lethargic and you're tired probably withdrawing from plans withdrawing from from work probably being a bit more reserved and and everything that comes with being a bit more a bit more tired you know so i think it's an important thing that i've learned recently how to change and it has a, it's had a, a positive impact on my mental health for the time being and i think on that note we are gonna have to start wrapping things up i think aren't we we've we can probably yeah. do a second one on, on this to be honest at some point we've probably got loads of other things to talk about um but we are gonna have to wrap this up hopefully we've given enough practical advice for people yeah. to go and do things or take away something from this as well as sharing some of our own experiences there's probably more things like i say that we could definitely get into in, in another podcast if you want to see that obviously let us know and whilst you're letting us know just hit the like button subscribe etc etc thanks so much for watching and we'll see you next week. Cheers. See you next week.